This is episode 420 of the AWS podcast, released on January 17, 2021. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Lesher here with you. Great to have you back, and welcome to 2021's first update show. I'm doing this one solo because uh, Nikki is still on vacation. Good for her, but we have lots of updates to get on top of, including a lot of catch-up ones that took place during reInvent as well. So these are not the updates that were announced in reInvent, but took place during reInvent, which there were a lot. In fact, we have uh, something like 133 updates to talk about today. So what I'm going to do is some of these I'm going to go very uh, basic and um, and quick and others we'll dive into as well. And I'll also put a uh, audio apology at the start is uh, we have a brand new puppy at home and being COVID times, I'm working from home and recording from home. So you may hear some puppy training in the background, if you're lucky, <laughs> if you're that way inclined. So on to our first topic, the AWS Marketplace. And software providers on the AWS Marketplace can now use the self-service management portal to update their customer products. So this allows you to update versions, product information on your container product listings. And this is really handy in terms of managing the environment from a provider perspective. Now, AWS Marketplace is a curated digital catalog of third-party software and data that makes it easy for customers to find, buy, and deploy solutions that run on AWS. And there are more than 8,000 software listings from 1,600, or more than 1,600, I should say, ISVs that you can choose from. So it's a great way to get started and up and running. Moving on to the topic of analytics, we're happy to introduce AWS Data Exchange Publisher Coordinator and Subscriber Coordinator. These are new AWS solutions implementations that automate the publishing and consumption of data via AWS Data Exchange. So previously, AWS Data Exchange customers had to manually upload and download their data set revisions or create and maintain their own solutions for automation. With these uh, solutions, you can now reduce the operational burden of manual processes and bypass the engineering complexity of building custom automation. So great solutions that you can take advantage of if this is a service you use. AWS Data Exchange data sets now easily available for visual transformation using AWS Glue Data Brew via console integration. So we spoke about AWS Glue Data Brew as part of our reInvent episodes and now it is integrated into the console for AWS Data Exchange. So what this means is you can take the data that you're getting access to and manipulate it and adjust it accordingly. So what's nice is you get access to a diverse selection of thousands of third-party data products from more than 150 data providers. And you can then visually change things. You can clean, normalize the data, prepare it as you need using 250 or more than 250, I should say, pre-built transformations to automate data preparation tasks and no code required, which is nice. Amazon Managed Streaming for Apache Kafka now supports Apache Kafka version 2.7.0. So new and existing clusters can take advantage of this, bug fixes, performance improvements, and some new features as well. AWS Lambda now supports SASL and SCRAM authentication for functions triggered from Amazon MSK. Uh, So this allows you to take advantage of simple authentication and security layer salted challenge response authentication mechanism. Uh, This is a very popular way of uh, authenticating that's supported by Apache Kafka and now AWS Lambda supports that as an event source component. And Apache Kafka client resiliency testing has also been made easier with an Amazon MSK reboot broker API. Uh, 
The Reboot Broker API enables you to test the resiliency of your data producers and consumers by simulating MSK service maintenance such as automated patching or the effect a version upgrade may have on an MSK broker. So very useful for testing your environment. The AWS Database Migration Service now supports parallel apply when using Redshift as a target during ongoing replications. So this means you can move far more data in a multi-threaded environment. So this is really useful for improving the performance of your ongoing replications from any DMS supported source into Amazon Redshift. AWS Glue has launched AWS Glue Custom Connectors. This is a new capability in AWS Glue and AWS Glue Studio that makes it easy for you to transfer data from SaaS applications and custom data sources to your data lake in Amazon S3. So at just a few clicks, you can search and select connectors from the marketplace, the AWS marketplace, and begin your preparation workflow in just minutes. So you can take advantage of connectors for Salesforce, SAP, and Snowflake, as an example. You can also build custom connectors and share them across teams. And you can integrate open source Spark connectors and Athena Federated Query connectors in your data preparation workflows. So very exciting new capabilities there. Amazon EMR release 6.2 now supports improved Apache HBase performance on Amazon S3 and Apache Hive ACID transactions on HDFS and Amazon S3. So these are all great new capabilities that you can take advantage of. Amazon QuickSight enhances dashboard performance with dynamic querying and other data set optimizations. Dynamic querying enables direct query data sets that contain join tables to run more efficiently because joins are applied dynamically so that only the subset of tables needed to render a visual are used in the join. So this optimizes queries and results in visuals loading much faster than before. With this release, all new and existing data sets are automatically set to use dynamic querying capability without needing any configuration. So you get the most optimized approach. Amazon QuickSight also now supports Amazon Elasticsearch service and adds new box plot and filled map visuals. So two new chart types to take advantage of and also a new integration to get access to more data into QuickSight. AWS Lambda now supports self-managed Apache Kafka as an event source. So we spoke about the support for Amazon MSK, but also if you are self-managing Apache Kafka, you can use that as an event source as well. And AWS Lambda now makes it easier to build analytics for Amazon Kinesis and Amazon DynamoDB streams. So for no additional cost, you can now build some average count and do other simple analytics functions over a contiguous non-overlapping time window, also called a tumbling window, of up to 15 minutes per shard. And this means customers consolidate their business and analytics logic into a single Lambda function, reducing the complexity of their architecture. AWS Lambda has also launched checkpointing for Amazon Kinesis and Amazon DynamoDB streams. So this allows customers to automatically checkpoint records that have been successfully processed using a new parameter called function response type. When customers set this parameter to report batch item failure, if a batch fails to process, only records after the last successful message are retried. So this reduces duplicate processing and gives you more options for failure handling. Amazon EMR Studio is now available in public preview, which makes it easier for data scientists to build and deploy code. It's an integrated development environment or IDE that makes it easy for you to visualize debug data engineering and data science applications that are written in R, Python, Scala, and PySpark. EMR Studio provides fully managed Jupyter notebooks and tools like Spark UI and Yarn Timeline Service to simplify debugging. It also uses AWS SSO to later log in directly with your corporate credentials without logging into the AWS console. You can now simplify running Apache Spark jobs with Amazon EMR on Amazon EKS. So 
this is a new deployment option for EMR that lets you run Apache Spark on the Amazon Elastic Kubernetes service. So if you already use Amazon EMR, you can now run those EMR-based applications with other types of applications on the same EKS cluster to improve resource utilization and to simplify infrastructure management across multiple AWS availability zones. If you run really big data frameworks on EKS, you can now use EMR to automate provisioning and management, and you can run Apache Spark up to three times faster. With this deployment option, you can focus on running analytics workloads while Amazon EMR on Amazon EKS builds, configures, and manages containers. So it takes away a lot of the old undifferentiated heavy lifting. We're happy to announce a preview of AWS Lake Formation features, transactions, row-level security, and acceleration. So these are new capabilities that give you more access to governed tables, the ability to have a new Amazon S3 table type that supports atomic, consisted, isolated, and durable transactions. And it also now allows us to automatically compact and optimize storage of governed tables in the background to improve query performance. Amazon Redshift has launched the RA3 XL Plus nodes with managed storage. This is the latest generation node type and allows you to scale compute and storage independently. And this particular instance type is the newest and smallest member of the RA3 node family and allows you to size your cluster based primarily on your compute needs. So now with the introduction of the RA3X Plus, you have even more compute sizing options. So the RA3XL Plus nodes offer one third compute or four vCPUs and a memory of 32 gigabytes compared to the RA34X Large at one third of the price. So it allows you to have finer control over how you apply your compute resources. Amazon Redshift introduces data sharing into preview. Data sharing provides live access to the data so that your users always see the most up-to-date and consistent information as it's updated in the data warehouse. So with Amazon Redshift data sharing, you can rapidly onboard new analytics workloads and provision them with flexible compute resources to meet their workload-specific performance SLAs while allowing them access to common data. So data sharing allows you to share live, transactionally consistent data by leveraging Amazon Redshift managed storage across different clusters without the complexities and delays uh, usually associated with data copies and data movement. So it makes it easy to bring everything together. Now, good news, there's no additional cost to use data sharing on your Amazon Redshift clusters. Amazon Redshift announces support for native JSON and semi-structured data processing. This is available in preview. And we talked a little bit about this in uh, the reInvent times, but basically this is a preview of native support for JSON and semi-structured data based on the new data type super it's a good data type that allows you to store the semi-structured data in Redshift tables. It also adds support for particles query language, which we did talk about, which seamlessly lets you query structured and semi-structured data. So this functionality enables you to achieve advanced analytics that combine classic structured SQL, things like strings, numerics, and timestamps, uh, with a semi-structured super data with specific and superior performance, flexibility, and ease of use. Amazon Redshift has been very busy. They've announced native console integration with partners. So now you can onboard and get valuable business insights by integrating with select partner solutions. These include Salesforce, Google Analytics, Facebook Ads, Slack, Jira, Splunk, and Marketo, just to name a few. And you can get it up and running in a very streamlined way. Amazon Redshift has also launched the ability to easily move clusters between availability zones or AZs. So you can invoke the relocation function in cases where resource constraints in a given AZ are disrupting cluster operations, such as the ability to resume or resize a cluster. And this feature is available for use on clusters that leverage the RA3 instance family and is offered at no additional cost. Redshift also announced Amazon RDS for MySQL and Amazon Aurora MySQL databases as new sources for 
their routed queries in preview. And it has also announced automatic table optimization. So automatic table optimization continuously observes how queries interact with tables and uses machine learning to select the best sort and distribution keys to optimize performance for the cluster's workload. If Redshift determines applying a key will improve cluster performance, tables will automatically be altered within hours without requiring administrator intervention. It sounds very good because I've spent many, many hours trying to figure out the right combinations. Some updates on the topic of application integration. Amazon MQ now supports ActiveMQ version 5.15.14. So this has several fixes and new features compared to the previously supported version. Amazon SQS now supports a high throughput mode for FIFO queues in preview. So this allows you to process up to 3000 messages per second per API action. This is a tenfold increase compared to the current SQS FIFO queue throughput quota. So this is really useful if you're using this type of modality of SQS, you can get more performance in preview. Check it out. Amazon API Gateway now supports integration with step functions start sync execution for HTTP APIs. And so this is ideal for doing things like high volume, short duration, synchronous workflows. And with first class integrations, we've made it easy to set up direct operations with SQS, send message, Kinesis, put record, step functions, start sync execution in HTTP APIs. And there's lots more coming. This just makes it easier to glue things together. Also happy to announce the porting assistant for .NET supports automated code translation. So in addition to identifying incompatibilities in the source code, porting assistant can now automatically make changes to the source code to address commonly found incompatibilities with .NET Core. So for example, when porting assistant detects the usage of entity framework in an application, it automatically adds EF Core as a dependency, updates the namespace in the source code and adds applicable stubs to allow developers to quickly port the application. So very nice way to get going. Amazon AppFlow now provides data integration with Upsolver. Upsolver is a data lake ETL platform that stores data on the cloud, applies advanced transformations and distributes it to multiple destinations. Moving on to the topic of blockchain, Amazon Managed Blockchain now supports Ethereum in preview. Ethereum is a popular decentralized blockchain platform that establishes a peer-to-peer -peer network allowing participants to transact without a trusted central authority. So you can now provision Ethereum nodes in minutes and you can also connect to the public Ethereum main network and test networks such as Rinkaby and Ropsten. Onto the topic of business applications, Amazon Chime now supports joining meetings from Echo Show 8. So if that's something you use, you can use that to get into your meetings very, very quickly. Moving on to the topic of compute, the Amazon Elastic Container Service ECS has launched a new management console. So you can now create, edit, delete ECS services and tasks. It's much easier to use, cleaner, faster. A lot of feedback has gone into that, so hopefully you'll enjoy it. And the Amazon ECS team is also happy to announce the general availability of the ECS deployment circuit breaker. This feature allows ECS customers using the ECS rolling update deployment type to automatically roll back unhealthy service deployments without the need for manual intervention. So this empowers customers to quickly discover failed deployments without worrying about resources being consumed for failing tasks or indefinite deployment delays. A couple of quick outposts updates. Customer-owned IP is now generally available for Amazon RDS on Outposts and new versions of MySQL and Postgres SQL are now available also on Amazon RDS for Outposts. AWS Compute Optimizer now delivers recommendations for AWS Lambda functions. So now you can get memory size recommendations for those functions, which makes it easy for you to optimize your workloads. 
EC2 Image Builder now supports container images. So now you can now build and test container images which are compliant with the Open Container Initiative or OCI specification. So you can now automate both the building of virtual machines and container images with similar workflows, which is pretty cool. And speaking of our old friends, the AMIs, Amazon Machine Image Copy Limits have been increased to 100 images per destination region. So this is an increase from the limit of 50, which is the previous maximum. You can now deploy Microsoft Active Directory infrastructure on Amazon EC2 using the AWS Launch Wizard. So if that's something you're interested in, you can get that up and running. And you can manage Microsoft SQL Server workloads on Amazon EC2 using Amazon Manager capability in the AWS Systems Manager. Amazon EC2 has announced Spot Blueprints, which is an infrastructure code template generator to get started with EC2 Spot instances. And this saves you time in even having to learn how to use Spot and you can just start getting the savings you get for interruptible workloads. You can use Spot Blueprints on the most popular services used with Spot instances, including Amazon EC2 Autoscaling, Amazon EMR, AWS Batch and Amazon EKS. You can now simplify EC2 provisioning and viewing cloud resources in the ServiceNow CMDB with AWS Service Management Connector for ServiceNow. So if that's a tool you use, you should check that one out. And Amazon EC2 has now got new network performance metrics for EC2 instances. So this gives you more insight into instance network performance. The new metrics inform customers in real time of network traffic which is impacted by instance allowances for inbound and outbound bandwidth, packets per second and connections tracked and PPS to link local services are exceeded. So you get better visibility of what's going on. Amazon ECR has announced the cross-region replication of images. So if you use the Amazon Elastic Container Registry, you have a simple and easy way to copy those images across regions for backup and for distribution. And finally, for compute, host resource groups now provide APIs along with the ability to add dedicated hosts to further simplify your bring-your-own-license experience. So some license types, things like Windows Server and SQL Server, require a dedicated physical server. This capability allows you to specify your management preferences for dedicated hosts, such as host allocation, host capacity utilization, and instance placement at the time of onboarding. Onto the topic of cost management. Cost and usage report is now available to member or linked accounts. So member accounts in an AWS organization can now set up cost and usage reports containing the specific cost and usage data just for their account. So this gives you that account level insight that you may have been looking for. AWS Cost Anomaly Detection is now generally available. So this is a free service that monitors your spending patterns to detect anomalous spend and provide root cause analysis. So it helps you really avoid those cost surprises and enhance those cost controls. Onto the topic of customer engagement. Amazon Connect now supports sharing attachments in chat. This makes it easier than ever to help resolve your customer support needs. The Amazon Connector CTI adapter for Salesforce now supports contact lens. So if that's a capability you're using, you can integrate it very quickly. And Amazon Connect supports Amazon Lex chatbots with Latin American, Spanish, and German. So again, far more language support for your automation. Moving on to the topic of database, you can now publish Oracle management agent logs from Amazon RDS for Oracle to Amazon CloudWatch logs. So a great way to get visibility. Microsoft SQL Server point-in-time recovery is now generally available for Amazon RDS on VMware. And Amazon Neptune now supports the DBR524X large instance type, which is a really nifty type with a 1 to 8 vCPU to memory ratio. You get up to 768 gigabytes of memory and 25 gig of network bandwidth to do lots of cool stuff. 
You can now use Particle with NoSQL Workbench to query, insert, update, and delete table data in Amazon DynamoDB. If you're a DynamoDB user, the NoSQL Workbench is really, really handy, and now you have more capability. And related to that, Particle for DynamoDB is now supported in 23 Adibus regions, so get your hands on that one. Adibus Database Migration Service now supports Amazon DocumentDB 4.0 as a source, so you can start to move even more data around as is necessary. And the AWS Pricing Calculator now supports Windows Server and SQL Server workload cost estimates. So now you can see what the cost would be based on a selection of licensing options, including AWS provider licenses with license included options, and also customers' existing licenses with bring your own licensing. And you can look for optimal savings as well. You can also optimize CPUs to make sure you're getting the best cost per CPU ratio for your workload. Amazon Aurora Postgres SQL integrates with AWS Lambda. So the Amazon Aurora with Postgres compatibility databases can now make calls to AWS Lambda functions and you can get all kinds of cool capabilities happening in those Lambda functions. Aurora also now supports Postgres SQL 11.9, 10.14 and 9.6.19. And it also can now take advantage of the Aurora R6G instance types, which are powered by AWS Graviton 2 instance processors in preview. Now, these are a great choice for this types of processing because it provides several performance optimizations over the previous generation of processors, uh, seven times the performance, four times the number of compute cores, two times larger private caches per core, five times faster memory, and two times faster floating point performance per core. Uh, really what you find is great performance across the board. So this will be available to you and you can check out more information about this particular technology. Some updates for developer tools. AWS Code Pipeline now supports deployments with CloudFormation stack sets. Amazon Gamelift has updated the server SDK supporting Unity 2020 and Unreal Engine 4.25. And we're happy to announce the general availability of Amazon Coretto 11 for Linux on ARM32 and for Windows on x86 32-bit. So if these are libraries you need, they're available on more platforms now in the 32-bit flavor. The AWS SDK for JavaScript version 3 is now generally available and has many frequently requested features such as a new middleware stack and first-class TypeScript support. It also has a modular architecture with a separate package for each service. So you can improve your application performance by only importing the packages that your application requires and reducing your application bundle. Lots of good stuff in this new version. Also step-by-step -step instructions to migrate from version 2 to version 3. The AWS IDE Toolkit is now available for AWS Cloud9. This enables users of our browser-based IDE to easily manage core AWS services through the graphical user interface. Amazon CodeGuru Profiler has added memory profiling and heap summary. So this gives you a consolidated view of your application's memory and the heap utilization, and also helps you solve those pesky memory problems. Some quick updates on the topic of end-user computing. Amazon WorkDocs offers additional collaboration controls throughout its Android app. So if that's an app you use, you'll get way more capability there. And Amazon AppStream 2.0 adds support for real-time audio video. So this allows you to seamlessly redirect local webcam video input to AppStream 2.0 streaming sessions. So as more users work from home, this is kind of important for making video conferencing work. Quick update on the topic of game tech. Amazon Lumberyard Beta 1.27 is now available. A whole range of updates, including usability with optimized workflows throughout the user interface, support for new and improved physics features, and even more customization options for developers on major platforms. Some updates for the Internet of Things. AWS IT SiteWise Monitor now supports AWS CloudFormation. And we also now have the AWS IT SiteWise plugin for Grafana. AWS 
IoT site-wise also has support for the Modbus TCP and Ethernet IP protocols and enhancements to OPC UA data ingestion. So more compatibility available to you there. FreeRTOS now supports over the updates for multiple file types. So with this feature, FreeRTOS users can classify different types of files, so firmware, certificate, general image, while creating your OTA update job. And it allows a FreeRTOS device to identify the category of an incoming update and use it for a specific purpose or a specific target in an embedded application, which is pretty nice. AWS IoT Core Device Advisor is now available in preview. This is a fully managed cloud-based test capability for validating IoT devices. Previously, you had to build your own test infrastructure to make sure your IoT devices could reliably and securely interoperate with AWS IoT Core, which adds to the cost of development and testing and slows down completion of your projects. Now you can use pre-built test cases provided by Device Advisor to validate your IoT devices for reliable and secure connectivity with AWS IoT Core. AWS IoT Core has also added the ability to deliver data to Apache Kafka clusters. Another update in that category is Amazon Sidewalk integration for AWS IoT Core. So Amazon Sidewalk is a shared network that helps devices work better through better connectivity options. And the GA of this capability allows device manufacturers to easily onboard their Sidewalk device fleet with AWS IoT Core. So Amazon Sidewalk has been designed to support a wide range of customer devices like locating pets or valuables to smart home security lighting control to remote diagnostics for appliances and tools. Lots of interesting stuff happening there. AWS IoT Device Defender has added support for custom metrics. We're also happy to announce support for alarms in preview in AWS IoT events and AWS IoT SiteWise. And AWS IoT Analytics can now support processed IoT data in data stores using Apache Parquet format, which typically makes it far more efficient and cost-effective to process your data. There is also enhanced error handling capabilities in the IoT Analytics data processing pipelines, which means you don't have to worry about the complexity typically required to build those platforms. FreeRTOS has also added cellular LTM interface library to support cellular IoT-based applications. And the AWS IoT SDK for embedded C version 2021.12. And the AWS IoT SDK for embedded C version 2020.12.00 includes over-the-air update library and PKCS number 11 implementation. On to the topic of machine learning. Amazon Transcribe Medical now supports both streaming and batch transcription of multi-channel audio, which is pretty nifty. And AWS Deep Composer has launched a new learning capsule that dives deep into transformer models. So if that's an area you need to understand more about, you can get up and running quick on that one. You can now secure your SageMaker Studio access using AWS Private Link and AWS IAM source IP restrictions. So this means when using PrivateLink, all the traffic flows entirely within the AWS network without traversing the public internet, gives you an additional layer of security. Also useful for meeting certain compliance requirements. Amazon Kendra has added a few different capabilities, support for custom synonyms. So you can now build them in based upon your own business vocabulary. It's added a Google Drive connector and also an overall connector library. So you can choose from a wide array of different types of data and connect into those. So this includes storage solutions like, of course, Amazon S3, Box, Microsoft OneDrive, and collaboration tools like Atlassian Confluence, Jira, and GitLab, as well as ERP and communications platforms like SAP and Slack. Onto the topic of management and governance. AWS Control Tower console now shows more detail about external AWS config rules, so you get more data when you look at it. And the AWS Well-Architected Guidance Engine is now available inside AWS Control Tower. So this is a really useful feature that lets you determine the next steps, best practices, and make choices so you make the most of AWS. 
This guidance engine allows you to receive prescriptive guidance in the console based on questions and answers that you provide. And each wage scenario, as they're called, is similar to a decision tree and is built and reviewed by AWS experts. AWS Service Catalog now supports the tag option sharing, which allows administrators to distribute tag options when sharing portfolios within AWS accounts. Provision product referencing is also now available in AWS Service Catalog. So this means you can reference provision product outputs in new provision products or AWS CloudFormation stacks. So things like VPC Identifier can be made available as inputs to dependent provisioned products and stacks. So it just helps you create things that have dependencies on one another. AWS Config is pleased to announce the availability of process check rules. That is in addition to the config manage rules, custom rules and remediation actions. Process check rules help you track resource agnostic tasks as part of different compliance frameworks and operational best practices. You can add process check rules to new and existing conformance pack templates in your account. So unlike rules and remediation actions in AWS Config, which are used to automatically evaluate the compliance of specific AWS resources, the compliance status of a process check rule is manually administered and set by you through the console or using the put external evaluation API. And two new sample conformance pack templates for operational best practices for CIS benchmarks level one and two are available. And these include process check rules to match specific controls. AWS Config also launched the ability to save advanced queries. So you can customize a sample query or write your own and save it with name, description and tags and you can use it many, many times. AWS Systems Manager now enables you to have advanced flow control for automation runbook executions. Using this feature, you can automatically roll back any changes or perform necessary cleanups when the execution of a runbook is cancelled. You can now also compare different versions of your runbooks with AWS Systems Manager. There is a new solutions consulting offer called High Governance Foundation with AWS Control Tower. And this is delivered via consulting engagement from LogicWorks, which is an AWS migration competency partner. And this accelerates the design and build out of cloud architecture that can scale to support multiple teams, applications, or tenants. APIs are now available for the AWS Well-Architected tool. So this is a tool you should all be using because it lets you figure out, are you building things the best way you can possibly? Now, by using the Well-Architected tool API, you can effectively govern workloads across many AWS accounts and you can always stay up to date on the best practices and scale these principles across your teams and systems. And speaking of scale, AWS Personal Health Dashboard now supports organization-wide event aggregation. So you can get that all-up view of health events occurring across your organization from a single aggregated dashboard. You can learn about maintenance events, security vulnerabilities, and AWS service degradations that are affecting any account in your AWS organization. This comes at no additional cost and does not require a premium AWS support plan. Service quotas now support tagging and attribute-based access control, or ABAC. You can now attach tags, you can attach user-defined attributes to applied quotas, which means you can easily identify, classify, or categorize applied quotas in your account. And these are overrides that are specific to your account that you've been granted to you in the past. And you can use these to now also authenticate. Now, ABAC is an authorization strategy that defines permissions based on tags attached to users and AWS resources, and it simplifies permissions management. You can author a single permission policy that you don't need to update as new resources are added to your AWS environment. You can also improve your security posture by authoring granular permission rules based upon the tags that you define. And finally, in this topic, AWS App2 Container now supports remote execution of containerization workflows. With this feature, users can now direct A to C workflows that need to be run on an application server remotely. This is done without directly logging into the application server. 
Ability to run some of the containerization workflows remotely has been supported in previous releases, but with this new feature, users can now use our remote machine as a single place to run all A to C workflows interacting with applications running on different application servers. This eliminates the need for installing A to C on each application server. If you haven't come across this, this is a command line tool for modernizing .NET and Java applications into containerized applications. It will analyze and build an inventory of all applications running in virtual machines on premises or in the cloud. You simply select the application you want to containerize and A2C packages the application artifact and identified dependencies into container, into container images, I should say. It configures the network ports and generates the ECS task and Kubernetes pod definitions. Some updates on the topic of migration and transfer. The AWS database migration service now supports MariaDB version 10.4. It also supports parallel apply when using Redshift as a target during ongoing replications, as I'd mentioned. It also supports Amazon DocumentDB 4.0 as a source. And AWS Ops Hub for AWS Snow Family is now available for Linux. So if this is a tool you need to use in your environment, you can now run it on Windows, Mac, and Linux as well. Moving on to the topic of mobile, we're happy to announce Unified Search in the AWS Management Console. You can now easily search and discover information on the console. Uh, all kinds of things get picked up really, really easily. It's a much nicer and more efficient experience. The Amplify CLI enables serverless container deployments using AWS Fargate. So you can now use Fargate as your destination. You can deploy REST APIs and GraphQL APIs based on Amplify provided container templates. You can bring your own containers from other projects. You just need a Docker file or Docker Compose configuration. And you can use the out-of-the-box build and deploy pipeline or configure your own custom pipeline too. This will all help you get up and running quick. Some great updates in the topic of networking and content delivery. We're happy to announce Amazon Route 53 support for DNSSEC. You can now enable DNSSEC signing for all existing and new publicly hosted zones and enable DNSSEC validation for Amazon Route 53 Resolver. Now, Amazon Route 53 DNSSEC provides data origin authentication and data integrity verification for DNS and can help you meet your compliance mandates such as FedRAMP. Amazon VPC also has announced a reachability analyzer to simplify connectivity testing and troubleshooting, which is a very cool capability. It lets you perform connectivity testing between your resources in your VPCs, and you can quickly troubleshoot why you can't connect to something. And many times I've needed this. Amazon VPC also now supports tag on create for elastic IP addresses. AWS Load Balancer Controller version 2.1 is now available with support for additional ELB configurations. So it makes it easier for you to route traffic to your applications using ELB. So things like support for ingress class, which is introduced by Kubernetes 1.18, support for gRPC workloads, uh, configuring a customer-owned IP pool for load balancers on outposts, uh, IPv6 dual stack NLBs, ALPN policy for network load balancers, and many, many more. We're really happy to introduce AWS Transit Gateway Connect, which simplifies SD-WAN branch connectivity. This is a new feature of AWS Transit Gateway and makes it easy to get up and running instead of doing it yourself or DIYing it. So customers can now seamlessly extend their SD-WAN edge into AWS using standard protocols like generic routing encapsulation or GRE or border gateway protocol BGP through partner orchestrated platforms with just a few clicks. Transit Gateway Connect gives customers added benefits like improved bandwidth, supports dynamic routing with increased route limits and it removes the need to set up multiple IPsec VPNs between the SD-WAN appliances and Transit Gateway. This simplifies overall network design and reduces the associated operational cost. Furthermore, Transit Gateway Connect is fully integrated with AWS Transit Gateway Network Manager, which gives you that advanced visibility through global network topology, attachment level performance metrics, and telemetry data. 
Now, this is supported by a number of the leading SD-WAN and networking partners, including Cisco, Aruba, Silverpeak, Fortinet, Versa Networks, Palo Alto Networks, Citrix, Aviatrix, 128 Technology, Sophos, Arista Networks, Ariaka, and Alkira. AWS Global Accelerator has launched custom routing. So this is a new type of accelerator that allows you to use your own application logic to route user traffic to specific EC2 destinations while still using the benefits of AWS Global Accelerator. Now, since standard accelerators are designed to load balance traffic, you can't deterministically route multiple users to a specific EC2 destination behind your accelerator, as may be required in some use cases. So one example use case is multiplayer gaming applications where you want to assign multiple players to a single session on a game server based on factors such as geographic location, player skill and gaming configuration. Other examples include voice over IP, edtech and social media applications that apply multiple users to a specific media server to initiate voice video messaging sessions. Starting today with a custom routing accelerator, you can route multiple users to a specific EC2 destination in a single or multiple AWS region by directing them to a unique port on your accelerator. This makes it easier to integrate your global accelerator with your application logic, things like matchmaking services or session border controllers, etc., that you might use. Super powerful, super handy way to get up and running quickly. And AWS customers can now use industry standard IGMP to easily deploy, manage, and scale multicast applications in the cloud. Woohoo, multicast. Opi Multicast on AWS Transit Gateway helps customers build multicast applications in the cloud and distribute data across thousands of Amazon VPC networks. Now, the nice thing is AWS Transit Gateway dynamically adds and deletes multicast members based on the IGMP protocol interactions. Many on-premises multicast applications require IGMP to dynamically add and remove multicast group members. With native IGMP support on AWS Transit Gateway, customers can now easily lift and shift workloads to AWS Cloud without requiring changes to applications or networking configurations. This also gives you real-time visibility into the multicast network and enables customers to accurately keep track of group membership changes over time. Next, a couple of updates on quantum technologies. Amazon Bracket now supports PennyLane, which is an open source software framework for hybrid quantum computing. Amazon Bracket Tensor Network Simulation now supports 50 qubit quantum circuits. So this is particularly powerful for sparse circuits, circuits with local gates and other circuits with inherent structure. Moving on to the topic of security, identity and compliance. New IAM condition keys for Amazon S3 limit requests to buckets owned by specific AWS accounts and to specific TLS versions. This helps you write simple policies that restrict access to your buckets based on the AWS account ID of the bucket owner or by the TLS version used by the client. So these are very handy. AWS Single Sign-On now supports Microsoft Active Directory synchronization. And Amazon GuardDuty adds three new threat detections to help you better protect your data stored in S3. Discover S3 Malicious IP Caller, Exfiltration Malicious IP Caller, and Impact Malicious IP Caller. You can now use AWS Secrets Manager to rotate your AWS data migration service source and target database credentials. Good way to keep things secret as they should be. And AWS Artifact makes compliance documents easy to download and share. You no longer are required to execute a non-disclosure agreement or NDA before downloading any AWS compliance reports from the AWS Artifact service. As such, we've removed the click-through NDA requirement for most compliance reports. Instead, we have applicable terms and conditions on the first page of every compliance report in AWS Artifact. That details the circumstances under which customers can distribute the applicable report. 
Amazon AppFlow now stores credentials in customers' AWS Secrets Manager account. So again, keeping everything nice and secure. And we've now introduced Attribute-Based Access Control, or ABAC, for the AWS Key Management Service. So you spoke a bit about ABAC earlier on. The Key Management Service now also supports that for a range of capabilities. AWS Security Hub now supports bi-directional integration with ServiceNow ITSM. So if those are things you use, that will be interesting to you. And AWS Security Hub now integrates with AWS Audit Manager for simplified security posture management. And finally, on our long journey today, the topic of storage, Amazon FSx now supports on-premises access from additional IP address ranges. So this means that today, customers can now access FSx for Windows File Server and Amazon FSx for Lustre File Systems from non-RFC 1918 IP addresses. Also, Amazon FSx for Windows File Server customers can now also join their file systems to on-premises active directories with non-RFC 1918 IP addresses. So before today, you were limited to only those networks that had ranges like 10.0.0 slash 8, 172.16.0.0 slash 12, or 192.168.0.0.16. Today's launch gives you far more flexibility because you get access to more ranges that you can use. Amazon Data Lifecycle Manager now supports copying of EBS snapshots across accounts. So now you can automate the copying and also those copies will be encrypted using a different customer master key using Amazon Data Lifecycle Manager. And so this can help you support your disaster recovery needs, which means that you have data available in different locations, but accessible when you need them. And finally, multi-attached support is now available on Amazon EBS provisioned IOPS volume type IO2. Launched in August 2020, IO2 is the newest generation of our provisioned IOPS volume, designed for 99.999% durability and 500 to 1 IOPS per gig. Multi-attach lets you share access to an EBS data volume between up to 16 Nitro-based EC2 instances with the same availability zone. Each attached instance has full read and write permission to the shared volume. And multi-attach is intended to make it easier to achieve higher application availability for customers that want to deploy applications that manage storage consistency from multiple riders in shared storage infrastructure. It's available in US East 2, EU Central 1 and AP South 1 regions at the moment. So that's it, a big catch up. Hopefully there was something for everyone there. Certainly there were some interesting things for me. As always, we do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to send that. And until next time, keep on building.